Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. We sang about the glory of Christ. Let's read about it. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10 and taking a close look at verses 1 through 5. John 17, 1 through 10. The title of today's sermon is The Glory of Christ. The Glory of Christ. John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and they have come to know uh, in truth that I came from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. The glory of Christ. These 12 men had left everything that they had known to follow this man called Jesus. In fact, he had personally called them, if you can reflect, some fishermen, some blue-collar guys, Some along the more white-collar perspective as tax collectors and others, but they had all given up their lives to follow Jesus. Now Jesus has come to them, and although he taught this pretty regularly throughout his ministry, they've come to realize Jesus is leaving us. And they begin to be concerned. What are we going to do? We've left it all. And now our leader is just going to leave us like that. How in the world are we ever going to make it? Well, the night before Jesus' arrest, he spends a lot of time with his disciples. And in that time, he spends encouraging them, helping to build them up, helping to show them that there is hope and that there is glory to come in the midst of what would look like 
what would look like tragedy. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus says these words, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Right? He says, I and the Father, we're one. And so you can trust that there's a plan in the midst of all this. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives them the news. Look, if you follow me, if you continue to be my disciples, just as the world hated me, the world is going to hate you. And you're going to go through difficulties. You're going to go through persecutions. But then in John 16, he says, but I'm sending to you the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come to give you strength to persevere, to give you wisdom and direction and courage even in the middle of difficult circumstances. And in fact, Jesus' teaching doesn't stop there. He just begins to teach in a different way. Jesus at that point begins to pray right in front of his disciples. And we have this incredible prayer recorded in John chapter 17. Now some of us, when we hear the Lord's Prayer, we think about back in Matthew chapter 6, right, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. More, more precisely, we could call that prayer the disciples' prayer. Jesus couldn't have prayed that prayer because in that prayer, he says, Father, forgive us of our iniquities. Jesus didn't have any iniquities to be forgiven from. And so actually in John chapter 17 is where we find the Lord's prayer. There were times, as you know, that throughout Jesus' life and ministry, there would be very large crowds and many opportunities to minister and heal and teach. And instead of doing that, often Jesus would step away from the crowds to go spend time in prayer. And certainly if this was a necessity for Jesus to pray, prayer should also be seen as a necessity in our lives. But here we see in the shadow of the cross, Jesus praying. John chapter 18, John records the arrest of Jesus. So this is right in the shadow of the cross as Jesus' public ministry has ended. He continues to teach and invest in these disciples to give them hope. Look back up in John 16 verse 33 at Jesus' words before he begins the prayer. He says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, this is the glory of Christ in this prayer that's been known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he pulls back the veil and gives his disciples a perspective of these happenings from the director's chair. 
Because what would be seen as sure failure and tragedy when Jesus goes to the cross, He wants His disciples to know that this was all part of the Father's plan. In fact, this has to do with the very reason that Jesus took on human flesh in the first place. To intercede. To make intercession on the behalf of those who would be called by Him in salvation. So in this passage, we see five glimpses of the glory of God, the glory of Christ, that I want to call your attention to today. First, in verse 1 of chapter 7, we see a glimpse of Christ's glory in His obedience to the Father's plan. Look what Jesus says. It says, Now Jesus, when He had spoken these words, He lifted His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. The hour has come. Jesus is keenly aware that the purpose for His entire life was to go to the cross and to lay down His life for sinners. Jesus knows that. In fact, Galatians chapter 4, Paul points this out. He says, in the fullness of time, Christ came. In Romans, Paul says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, the cross was not some plan B. The cross was not something that on the fly God had to do to figure out how to take care of sin. The cross is a result of the eternal plan of God. And Jesus knew in His coming that He came on a mission, on a mission to save. Now, throughout John's Gospel, it's interesting because we see a few different times in Jesus' ministry where He says, the time has not come yet. You may remember some of those. Jesus' first miracle, the wedding at Cana, Jesus' mom actually comes to Him and says, hey Jesus, they're trying to have a celebration and they've run out of wine. And so Jesus, of course, turns the water into wine, but Jesus replies, my time has not yet come. John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers are urging him to go to Jerusalem to make himself known. They say to him, Jesus, show yourself to the world. But Jesus replies, my time has not yet come. Again in John chapter 7, the Jews this time, John says, responded with animosity toward the teaching of Jesus. So they tried to seize him. They were going to do something about it. But John says, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But now in John 17, Jesus says, the hour has come. The time has come for His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His coronation. It's time for His glory 
to be revealed. But what is the place for that glory to be revealed? Some may think, oh, well, that glory should be revealed in some miraculous unrobing of Jesus. Kind of like when he took those three disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he pulled back the veil so that they could seek his glory. Now Jesus is going to do that for everybody and prove that he has this glory instead. The place of glory is the place of the cross. The place of glory is the place of the cross. The very place in which men would least expect glory to come. What a tragedy, some would say. What a waste that this person lived their whole life just to be a victim of these terrible people. How sad. No, that's the opposite of what, Jesus, of what happened at the cross when Jesus laid down his life. Jesus knew that. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus recognizes the time has come and he was obedient. Right, it recalls to our mind that incredible passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 2 when it says Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we get a glimpse of this glory of Christ as we see his obedience to the Father's plan in verse one, but we go on. In verse 2, we see a glimpse of the glory of Christ because of Christ's authority. Look at it in verse 2. Jesus says, Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. The grant of authority to Jesus is part of his mission in being sent in the flesh to save us. Now hear this, listen closely. It's at this point that Christ receives as a man what he always had as God. Do you hear that? It's at this point Christ receives as a man what he always had as God. Look, Jesus has um, had eternal authority because he has eternally existed as God. But in taking on human flesh, he received authority as a human being to grant eternal life to those who the Father has given him. Jesus gives this, uh, receives this authority to grant eternal life. Flip back in your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. As most of you are probably aware, Daniel was a prophet. And so he spoke on behalf of God to the people. And part of what he prophesied about was this coming Messiah. He called him the Son of Man. And in Daniel chapter 7, Verse 13, we get a description of the Son of Man. Daniel 7, 13, Daniel says this, I saw in the night visions, 
and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So this is Jesus standing before the Father. Look in verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Christ came and was given this authority to accomplish salvation and giving eternal life to all those the Father had given him. So brother or sister in Christ, as you sit here today, redeemed by Jesus, we and you have experienced this authority of Christ in your life to grant salvation. I like what the Puritan author and pastor Thomas Brooks comments about this passage. He says this, weak saints. Are there any weak saints here this morning? Anybody just struggling with life? He says this, weak saints are as much united to Christ and justified by Christ and reconciled by Christ and pardoned by Christ as the very strongest saints. You see, saints are saints. Those who are redeemed are those who are redeemed. And some of us are a little weaker and some of us are a little stronger, but the only way we can be born again is because the glory of Christ, because he was given the authority to grant eternal life to those that the Father had given him. Not only that, in verse 3, we get a glimpse of his glory because of his ability to give eternal life. Back in John 17, read verse 3, it says this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus gives the true knowledge of the Father to those He saves. This was the point of His earthly ministry. This was His mission. Now, when we talk about knowledge, we have to clarify because the Bible's terminology and understanding of knowledge is more than just intellectual assent. To know something or to know someone biblically is to know them with this deep intimacy. It's this deep, intimate relationship that, they, that we have in this knowledge. And so when we talk about Jesus giving eternal life by giving us knowledge of the Father, we have to recognize we don't have that knowledge naturally. Maybe you grew up thinking, or maybe you've just been thinking, hey, I know God. I can see who He is. I can understand who He is. The Bible says the only way that you can truly know God 
in this deep, intimate, personal way is by a gift that is given to you from the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I have given them eternal life through this knowledge. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 says, they were darkened in their understanding of God and alienated from Him. You see, we are not, we do not naturally know God. We do not naturally seek God. We must have experienced this miracle in our life of salvation that comes through Christ. But the knowledge of God not only leads to eternal life, it's not only the benefit of eternal life, it is eternal life. Notice here that Jesus does not speak of eternal life like we typically think about it. You see, we typically think about eternal life as this conscious, eternal existence. We're going to live forever. That's the way we think of eternal life. But here, Jesus speaks of eternal life in terms of knowledge, in terms of relationship. In other words, to truly know God is to have a living and active relationship with Him. To truly know God is to enjoy Him as supremely true and satisfying in your life. So here's the question, right? Do you know God? Do you know Christ? Not in terms of, do you know some facts about Christ? Look, there are plenty of people who say, I believe that Jesus lived a, a, a life, even a perfect life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. In fact, I even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Did you know that's not enough to be born again? It's not enough to know facts about Christ to be born again. Here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life in your place? Do you believe that Jesus died a substitutionary death on the cross in your place? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give you hope? You see, that's the difference between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. And this is what Jesus is revealing and is encouraging His disciples to grasp and to hold on to in the midst of difficult days. You see, um, people talk about the distance between the earth and the sun. And if we could signify the distance between the earth and the sun by the thickness of a sheet of paper, did you know that to signify the distance across our galaxy, there would be a stack of papers 300 miles high. And Jesus holds it all together. This is the authority of Jesus. This is the glory of Jesus. I heard it illustrated like this. Somebody invites me to their house. It says, Tony, you can come in. Richmond, you have to stay out. Hold on a second. <laughs> right? I mean, I can either come in or stay out. But some people view Jesus 
through this lens. Oh, I want the loving Jesus. I want the kind Jesus. I want the meek Jesus. That Jesus, you're welcome in. But this Jesus, part of Jesus over here that's Lord and that's Savior and that's holy and that's righteous, no thank you. Jesus, when He comes into our life, it's all or nothing. So in this way, Jesus is not our imaginary friend. Jesus is not our good luck charm. Jesus is not the man upstairs. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is full of glory. The question is, do you know Him? Do you know Him? In verse 4, we catch another glimpse of Jesus. His glory is seen in His completed mission. Jesus says this in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now Jesus was so um, confident in His obedience and the fact that He would go to the cross. He speaks of it in terms like He's already accomplished it. He says, I've accomplished all that You gave me to do. We know eventually as Jesus hung on the cross, in His last words, He said, it is finished. Jesus has accomplished all that the Father had sent Him to do. He faithfully has executed all of the work and the duties of the Messiah. Your salvation depends not on your hold of Christ. It depends on Christ's hold of you. There's hope in that. There's certainty in that. There's good news in that. Fifthly and finally, we see the glory of Christ and His eternal existence with the Father. Look in verse 5. Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify Me at Your own presence with the glory I had with You before the world existed. Jesus had glory eternally before the world existed The only glory there was was the glory of the one true God. And yet, that glory is shared. It's shared between each person of the Trinity. The Father has glory. The Son has glory. And the Spirit has glory. And as we continue to read uh, this prayer of Jesus, and He intercedes on behalf of of His disciples, I'm convinced that this is the hope that He wants to be that bedrock truth in their hearts. That if He has glory, and He does, then they too will share in that glory forever. Earlier, the choir sung a song and they said, we have seen His glory. We've seen it through His Word. Today, we were singing the hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. And here's what that last verse said, speaking about the cross. In shame and reproach, we will gladly bear till He calls us to our home far away in His glory to share.
This is our hope. That because Christ is full of glory and we are Christ, hope for our glory is certain as well. Let that be an encouragement to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we know that in this world we will face tribulations. But as Jesus told His disciples, let us take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He has full glory. He has full authority to bring hope through giving eternal life, giving knowledge, of God to all who would believe. So Lord, I would pray that there would be, if there would be somebody here today and they've never seen the glory of Christ, maybe they've known some facts about Jesus, but in their soul, they cannot say, I know Jesus. I have this deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished on the cross in my place. Lord, today, may this be the day that they repent and they turn away from their sins and they cry out and say, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. Lord, would you do that for your glory? Lord, and for those of us who are already Christ's, and He saved us. Lord, help us to prize that knowledge and treasure, that knowledge of Him above all other things. Lord, forgive us of times where we place affections and allegiances in other places, things and, and ideas and thoughts that don't deserve it. Lord, it's only the glory of Christ that deserves our worship and our full adoration. So God, forgive us of being double-minded. Forgive us of the having split allegiances. And today, may we see freshly and anew the glory of Christ that we may worship Him in His glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.